Okay, guys, before we jump in, you know the drill by now. If you haven't subscribed already, hit the link in our show notes to get our weekly e-letter. It goes out to hundreds of men all around the world with game-changing psychology to help you do life better. Right, once you've done that, let's jump in. Whole Man Academy. Because the world needs strong men. Whole Man Academy is changing the game for men around the world. It's for guys who want to live an epic life of fun and adventure, no matter what. We believe deep down, all men want to go on their own hero's journey to becoming resilient, confident, fearless, and fulfilled. Listen in to be inspired by guys who don't settle for living a life of mediocrity. This is your call to action and call to adventure. Are you ready? Okay, so this is the Whole Man Academy podcast, episode 108. My guest today, I'm excited to speak to him, is Ross Anderson, also known as the motivational dude. We're going to come on to that. We could give him some labels. We love labels these days. Speaker, psychologist, consultant, specializes in well-being sciences and human optimization, which is a word uh, which we use a lot here at the Whole Man Academy. So, mate, how are you and where are you? I'm good. I'm in Glasgow. I'm warm. Uh, I just had a lovely warm bath, no candles, sadly. Um, and as I was saying to you, unfortunately, no Enya. Um, but it was nice. I use the bath as like a sauna when um, generally my little girl comes in early on a Friday evening. So rather than going to a sauna, I just uh, pop the little temperature gauge into the bath and make sure I'm operating at a particular temperature. Sounds a bit uh, scientific. Um, and I sit there okay. for 30 minutes. So increases BDNF, but also relaxes you at the same time. But do you know what? I mean, there's so many, uh, you know, when I was like researching and I always, I, I don't pretend I do like deep research on people. I love to skim if they've got Instagram because that kind yep. of gives a window to their soul, you know, have a look at their website, see what common words come up. Mm-hmm. And I realized with you, and I said before we start recording, we're not short of things to talk about because there's, you've got many strings to your bow. But I wanted to talk first. Let's jump into um, something <laughs> that I noticed you did, which was your TED talk. Now, mm-hmm. um, I, I think for a lot of, people in in maybe kind of the well-being space a ted talk is i'm not necessarily saying it's a pinnacle of their career but it's something they all aspire to maybe deliver so what was that like for you disastrous (laughs) i despise watching it back and i'll tell you why and by the way um it wasn't just to clarify, it wasn't like the big TED stage. Hmm. They do um, the, because kind of the smaller ones. They do yes. the smaller ones. So it was the University of Glasgow's TEDx, which is kind of a tiered down. Um, that's not to say that I didn't have the opportunity to go and speak at the TED, um, TEDx Glasgow about three years ago, which I did. It just didn't work out timing because I had uh, some major opportunities with Dell um, and, and, you know, and then ended up becoming their national ambassador for mental health and well-being. So that paid off thankfully. Um, but the reason that was disastrous was because at that time, so this was about four years ago and you can watch it online and I hate to watch it. It's painful. And I'll yeah. tell you why. So irrespective of it not being the big Ted, um, it was big for me because it still had that label of TEDx. Mm. And at that time, although I'd spoken in front of rooms of 100 and 200, this was 450 people. Um, and it was... It was the first time I ever felt like I was a real speaker. What right. I mean by that is you get your mic and you have a dressing room and you have a name badge and you're, you know, what would you like for lunch and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, and it was it was a, a lovely experience. And um, uh, there was some big, big speakers there as well. Um, so what happened was I was due, I was billed to be the fifth speaker, if I remember correctly. 
Um, however, and you get to know everyone, everyone else that, you know, you go there, you do some prep, they get to know you, the team get to know you, you get to know the other speakers. So I was billed to go fifth. And then there was a problem. So the speaker number one was in a car accident. And because I was, I guess you could say the most, at least seemed to be the most confident, socially yeah. adept, most loose, most relaxed. Um, they said, oh, Ross will go first. <laughs> Great. Without me, without even asking me, Ross will go first, just assuming. Um, and, and they were like, Ross, you're going first. You're up in 10. Now, I'm sure you've been on stage, whether it be, you know, running your events. Yeah. Maybe you're not, you've not done a lot of keynotes, but, you know, you need to prep yourself. I need to change my state. You yeah. know, I need to do some state shifting exercises to get rid of that negative stressful energy that we all go through. Because, yeah. you know, as much as I, I've, I've spoken in front of tens of thousands of people, I've spoken multiple times, still get nervous. doesn't matter. It's still, a process as well, isn't it? Yeah, there is a process. And I like to visualize. I like to bounce around. I like to do affirmations, different things to get into the right headspace so that I can deliver value. Anyway, so I go on stage and uh, the way Ted operate is they'll have your main you have three screens so you have your main screen that you can see so the audience are looking at you and you have your slides behind you but you have your main screen which has your notes right you have another screen which shows the slides behind you and then you have another screen that shows the next slide okay. so that you can you know enabling you to be in a, a flow state yeah but the clicker was broken <laughs> So every time I was clicking to see my notes to trigger, you know, my memories and then recall the information because I was so nervous and it was for me it was it was a big a big deal. Um, I had I was clicking like three four times and it wasn't working, um, and the team noticed this and they were trying to fix this. Um, but as as you know, you know, there's only a certain amount of stress that you can handle in situations like that. So the the start of the talk was really really off. And it was the first time that any of my friends and family had ever come to see me speak. Right. And it was just a surge of stress. And I, I, you know, I muscled my way through it. I managed my way through it, but it was not my best showing. Um, and I think if, I think if, you know, maybe a listener goes and, and looks up that talk to maybe like, oh, that, that's not that bad. And it isn't that bad, it's but it was, you know, how I felt. And I know now what I'm capable of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was an awkward experience. So rather than me leave, rather than me leaving feeling elated and all yeah. hyper and excited and you know ready to take on more challenges of of uh, gargantuan proportions, that wasn't the case. I left feeling deflated, um, down, underconfident. Um, it took me a while. It almost gave me. I remember it was like someone took depression and injected it into my arm. Yeah. And I felt, I felt, because I put, I, I take my reputation seriously. So I put my all into this. And there was so much preparation that goes into a, an 18 minute TED talk. Yes. Yeah, and I had to talk nailed. And then all these problems just came up and I wasn't equipped for that. Now, if that happened, I'd be like, oh, forget it. But I was trying to, I don't talk from memory uh, as such now. Well, I do, but what I mean by that is I talk more in visions and I never know what I'm going to say, but um, irrespective of that, now I perform better, whereas back then it was more I was trying to memorise um, word for word, which is very different. Even um, as you said it, I felt the, uh, you know, I haven't spoken in front, I think the biggest crowd I spoke to in front of is, is like 150, that was at Barclays at Canary Wharf, um, okay. 
but still it's those moments when something goes wrong you're you want to be channeled into what you're supposed to be doing not thinking in your yep. in the back of your mind so i i understand that uh that's that, by the way i i there's a, so i'd like to tell you quickly about my very first experience doing a big talk Go so I'd only spoken in front, maybe three three talks. I'd delivered three or four talks for mental health charities and like a, a friend's volunteer group at university. And then I was asked along to speak at a school. Right. Now, knowing what I know now about preparation and speaking on stage, you know, speaking, what I agreed to do was just, it was, <laughs> it was not a good idea. It was um, very dangerous. So what I mean by that is, they said, would you give back-to-back keynotes, three 45-minute keynotes, um, with short breaks in between. And I thought, I, I can boss this. I can okay. ace this. I'll be able to do that. And then I had a workshop at the end of the day. Um, and it was in front of 1,000 um, people. So going from speaking in front of 10, 20 to 1,000 people. And by the way, we're talking school kids here. Yeah. You know, who don't really filter their words. Um, so it was, it was teachers, students and staff, but predominantly school kids for the age of 14 to 18. Um. And what happened was I had these three speeches ready to rock. It was the same speech back to back. And I remember the week before I'm going up and I'm on stage and I'm prepping, I'm speaking to the janitor and I've got the music set up and the, the slides and everything got to the day. And it I didn't forecast for the, how long it would take for the kids to get seated. So I, I thought, oh, they'll come from class, they'll be seated in five minutes, you know, a couple of minutes just to settle themselves and off I'll go. But it took them 20 minutes to get seated. <laughs> and the whole time I'm thinking, shit, what, how do I cut this? How, what chapter do I skip to? How do I manage? And I Whoa. stood on stage, everyone looking at me, and I choked. It was like, the epic, you know, the, the scene from 8 Mile? He's choking. Yeah. And I stood, and my hand was shaking. I was on stage. And it was like the longest minute of my life. And I, my voice was all over the place. It was, you know, it was croaking. Um, and I managed to get, it was horrible. It was yeah. not a nice experience. And I was terrified. I left stage. I ran to the toilet. I didn't know if I was going to shit myself or be sick. Yeah. Um, and I had to <laughs> gather myself. And I knew that I had the opportunity. In that moment, I could have left. Yeah. But, you know, I knew that. I was in this situation where I was so focused on being better and realizing more of myself and um, compared to my past life when I didn't have those opportunities, I didn't have those opportunities to say yes or no. And there was nothing like that. So I thought, you know, you know, govern your, your bitch mind here and get back on that stage. Um, and I managed that I muscled through the, the next one and I got that out. I recalled it all from memory, word by word. And then the third one, um, I got a standard ovation. Right. So I, I always wonder, I always reflect, and think if I only done one speech that day, would I ever have continued? Doing mm. what would I be where I'm at right now? Isn't that it's so interesting? Because I know it's a bit like you know getting back on the horse, but I think anybody that does a, a decent amount of speaking is going to have one where, like you say, you know, there's there's a curveball thrown at you, yep. be it tech or whatever. Um, and I know I've had it where I've done the Zoom ones where you're just looking at basically, you're, and you think, I wonder if anybody's there. <laughs> I wonder if. You know, I wonder if yep. the, the, the feed got cut after half an hour. I'm just talking to myself. Um, but I wonder with you, I mean, that must feel like a world away, talking in front of that many people to kind of, you know, your upbringing. So I just wonder if you could give the guys listening even kind of a quick potted history of like how you got sure. to where you are. Because I know you, it wasn't all smooth sailing to state the obvious. Yeah, so I guess it it starts, the problems start when I was about four. So, so mum and dad split up um, and... 
dad was in and out my life for a period of time until I was about 14. And what he would do was, you know, he'd say, come back in, son, I love you, fuck off. Come back in, son, reject. You know, come back in. And that was his way for a while and it pained me. Um, and he would be absent and then present, absent and present. But I didn't really know how much it was affecting me. I had a lot of daddy issues that filled me. Those experiences filled me with a lot of confusion, anger, and rage. Um, I acted up in school, got into a lot of fights. I was putting a behaviours card. I have rheumatism. I have arthritis in my right hand because I've injured it 16 times through breaks, fractures, and dislocations. So if you could get a better picture of my hand, it's all over the place. All my, all my bones in the centre of my hand are fused together. Um, it's a mess. Um, I can't write for long periods of time. When I eventually got to university, I had sought the help of a scribe. So anyway, digressing here, but I got into a lot of trouble and I was very emotionally reactive. And uh, I never really realised my academic potential at school. Big part of that is because of the way the educational system is Mm. set up. You know, (laughs) less than 5% of our global Western curriculum is dedicated to health, well-being and personal development. So it's no wonder then that we get into our 20s, 30s, 40s and 50s and we're all a bit messed up. Um, So I, I... I can put part of the blame on the institution and then I think the rest of it comes down to my upbringing um, and my environment, you know, raised with a, raised in a single parent, impoverished family, mum who worked three jobs, bit of a cliche in many respects, but that was the way of it, um, speaking factually. And uh, I was uh, investigated at, in high school for selling and smoking cannabis um, and almost expelled. And again, I left school at 17. I bounced around from unfulfilling job to unfulfilling job. And that's when my drug dealing and drug taking intensified to the point where in 19, I take my first overdose. It wasn't that I wanted to end my life. It wasn't an intentional overdose. It was the result of living a toxic life Mm -hmm. and Magaluf. Um, I take my first overdose at 19, my second at 22. And then in between that period, I experienced a load of challenges. Um, I'm diagnosed with panic disorder. So for your listeners, that's a very intense, acute form of anxiety where you may have multiple panic attacks every single day. So a panic attack can feel like you're having a heart attack. Right. Nice. Um, And I was having multiple of those every single day and by the way I had a persona I created this new Ross to survive in my environment you know I was selling drugs there was a point where I was making close to 10,000 pounds a month selling drugs you know I remember at 19 my mother threw me out of the house she caught me with um I had this shed out the back garden and I used to do a bit of construction work so I'd constructed this shed so that you could lift a piece of concrete up and there's a carpet and you know it was invisible almost and in there was a chest and in that chest there was at times, kilos of cannabis, kilos of soft black, which is a sort of form of cannabis, mm-hmm. thousands of ecstasy, you know, ounces of cocaine. You know, I was all in. I even sold cigarettes and counterfeit clothing and false fake Ray-Ban sunglasses. You know, you name it, I did it. Have you um, just one thing, does it? Yeah, exactly. And, and so coming back to this point about that persona, you can imagine, you know, I wasn't the Ross I was supposed to be. I was this other guy. Um, and by the way, I'm a baby faced guy. I'm a softy and I'm five foot nine. So it doesn't really match that persona and, and what I'm speaking about. But the only place at that time in my life when I was dealing with this anxiety that I felt safe was crying in my mother's arms or strapped up to um, a heart monitor in the back of an ambulance. So I was very vulnerable, but at the same time pretending to be this other guy to survive in this environment. And then the autoimmune issues kicked in. Um, I lost friends to heroin, crime, suicide, and I take a second overdose. Um, and you'd think things couldn't get much worse for me, 
Then my lawyer turns and tells me, you know, you're looking at two years in jail for this. And I was terrified because multiple offences from the age of 15, 16 had compounded over time. And I'd used, yet I'd used all my get-out-of-jail-free cards. And here I am faced with this sentence of two years in jail. And I, I sought the advice of two, three, I believe, lawyers. And they all said the same. Look, there isn't much I can do, we can do for you. You know, you've already laid your bed, pack your bags. And so... I was already starting to make some positive shifts in my life um, before the event took place that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, not because I, I just wanted to. I, I, I just, um, I'd broken up with this girl. I was consistently going back and forth with this girl. You know, she, my life was chaotic. She was a, a, a bulimic. She was addicted to drugs, as, as was I. I was trying to pull myself away from that world. Her mum and dad were swingers. The dad was abusive. He beat the mother. He beat the daughter. You know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. My mum got married to an ex-SAS soldier who had PT, PTSD issues. And he was an alcoholic, and he didn't like me. You know, there's only room for one alpha in the house. So we fought like cat and dog, or should I say he kicked the shit out of me. Um, so there was loads of stuff going on. Um, it wasn't a very nice existence. I could go on and on and on and tell you about loads of other things, um, but I don't want to play the whole woe is me thing too much. But um, yeah, I mean, fast forward to the court case, and um, I'm standing in front of the magistrate. Court starts at nine. Um, I'm the last person to be seen at four. Um, and all my family are there. Bags are packed and the magistrate calls me up, you know, Ross Anderson, and I approach. And as she's talking about all the circumstances, I'm off in the distance thinking, you know, how the hell did I get here? Yeah. How did I get to this point? And I'm thinking, you know, it was because of X, Y, Z external thing. It was because I was raised in a single parent impoverished family. Um, was it because, you know, when my dad left and rejected me? Was it because I didn't have any positive male mentors? Was it because of the drugs? X, Y, Z, external thing. And then I realised it wasn't necessarily because of those external things. It was how I was living my life internally. You know, I was never really up until that point fully switched on, self-aware, conscious, cognizant, call it what you want. Uh, you know, life was happening to me versus for me. Yeah. Um, stuck in that passenger seat. Um, and as I'm having this realisation the magistrate's voice kind of snaps in the back into reality. And she says three words that me nor my family anticipate hearing. She says, fortunately, this time. And in that moment, you know, it wasn't, obviously I had this second chance, this big opportunity, but it wasn't like a big X Factor moment. You know, it wasn't, there wasn't any Katy Perry music or confetti bursts, you know, it was quite sobering, but it was exactly what I needed. And there was consequences, community service, tag, probation, putting a list, wasn't allowed to work with vulnerable adults and kids, denied access to America, loads of stuff, but it was far better than the alternative. Um, and I was certain I was going to jail, but unbeknownst to me, that year, um, so there's 14 months before the court case came about, and in that year, I had applied to go to college because, not because I needed to, because I wanted to. I was on that path. I wanted to change. And I met what I would call my three Mr. Miyagis. Um, to you, Anthony, they all just be college lecturers. But to me, you know, if you know yeah. the storyline of the Karate Kid, Daniel's son um, has these self-limiting thoughts. And Mr. Miyagi, you know, the wise mentor, helps him transition um transcend those self-limiting thoughts and at the time you know i'm thinking why should i be studying psychology and philosophy mm. and the likes these academic topics because i'm just some idiot for the back arse and nowhere um and they helped me overcome that and i rose to the top five percent of the class applied to go to university i'm given 
uh, granted five unconditionals. I accept to go to Glasgow University. At the time, it was recognised as um, number four in the UK for neuroscience and psychology. I'm all excited, but the joy was short-lived. I'm at Glasgow I'm at Glasgow University for one month, and then that court case happened. So yeah. it was a very all-over-the-place time in my life. Um, um, but ultimately, you know, after that decision was made, oh, and I was going to mention that those three Mr. Miyagi's, my college lecturer, unbeknownst to me at the time, had written three individual letters to the magistrate talking about who I was and the potential that I had shown and that they believed that, that is I, was capable, I was capable of a lot. And, and, you know, and that was a game changer for me. And, and she, you know, must have read those letters and it must yes. have resonated with her or they must have resonated with her. And she gave me a second chance, you know, and I grasped it. And, I, you know, I'm a firm believer that... Um, when you don't have any belief in yourself, you have to lean into someone else's belief in you and, and trusted mm -hmm. in them. I did that and I moved forward. And I, I you know, I, I, I don't have the power of foresight, so I had no idea that I would be where I'm at now. But what I was, what I had conviction with was the thought that, you know, I could be a little bit better or as we say in Scotland, a wee bit better. Yeah. Um, and I carried that belief consistently and uh, went on a, 10-year mission to learn as much as I possibly could about how to navigate this life as best I could. And, I think that's, and, where it gets, that's where it gets exciting on the, you know, on the, uh, the life story of, uh, of whoever will play you. That is the moment <laughs> of, you know, the, the Rocky montage comes in because suddenly, uh, I, I don't know if you, was it called like a fuck it moment where you're like, right, you know, I'm because at some point, I know when I was out in Miami, I say with Tony Robbins, you know, at an event mm -hmm. and he was standing in front of me and he was telling someone he kind of plucked out the crowd you know that we all know that you know you can make a decision like that and then you know everything can change i just wonder for you at, at what point did you kind of realize that your career was going to be in let's call it well-being as opposed to anything else so the way it happened for me was i i was in glasgow university i was studying neuroscience positive psychology psychological disorders evolutionary psychology and uh, sleep psychology Mm. So I started immersing myself in that. And luckily for me, the neuroscience and psychology building was right next to the microbiology building. And so I was fascinated by that too. Um, and I took an extra. So on the summer holidays, I wanted to study physiology as well. So I just immersed myself in all these things. But yeah. I think what I was doing was I wasn't just studying it from a book. I wasn't just studying it academically. I was living it. Mm. I was trying these things out. I was like being the human guinea pig and I'm, I'm still that to this very day. Um, and I was growing rapidly. I was changing rapidly for the better. I was still working through my own stuff. Yeah. Um, I was changing rapidly for the better. And then what happened was I realized that that knowledge had such a profound effect on me and I started to ponder curiously could it help other people in the same way mm. and that's when I started to open up about my my own experiences thoughts philosophies and that was when I was about 27 so I was going to my honours year um and what I would do is you so Glasgow University's library at the very top of the building there's these rooms that you can hire out right it's about five levels and they were always booked out and if you know you'd be very lucky to get one for two hours. You could get one for a two-hour slot. So what I would do at the very start of the week is I would galvanise all my friends and I would say, right, you go in there with your library card and you book out eight to nine, or eight to 10, sorry. I'll go in and book 10 to 12. Uh, Martin, can you get in? Martin was my best friend. Can you get in and get 12 to two? Jennifer, can you get in and get... And I would go in there for eight hours, um, 10 hours, 12 hours sometimes, and do my studies. And then after my studies were finished... I would sit and I had these big whiteboards and I was just sitting, I would think about, you know, I'd read books and then 
I'd watch YouTube videos and I would think about, you know, what I wanted to do with my life. And we were doing this module at the time called Professional Skills. And there was a section in it called Self-Awareness. Sorry, there was a section in it all about self-awareness. And I didn't really know what self-awareness was, even then, really. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone in the year, you know, they, they spent maybe a day on that section. I spent six weeks wow. on that section. <laughs> and I, I engaged in this exercise and I would call the exercise, this is your life. So the, our lecturer encouraged us to go back through our lives. So at the time I was 27, you were, you were to go through your life in five year increments right. and, and, and look at all the kind of positives, which were um, visually depicted on a, a peak. So let's say you have a line, the positives were all on a peak at the top of the line and the negatives were all um, sort of uh an inverse peak at the, at the bottom, if that makes sense, almost like a graph. Um, and I was going through it all and I was learning more about myself and I was putting two and two together. And, you know, when you look at um, two of the most common psychological disorders known to man, anxiety and depression, mm -hmm. um, when people go for therapy, what often happens is that they don't know how they got to where they were. Where they don't, re they can't really articulate how they got to where they're at in terms okay. of how they're experiencing this much anxiety and depression. And so I was like, wow, I'm putting two and two together. I, I'm making sense. I can reflect. I'm gaining insight. And it just it just got the ball rolling. And I was thinking about the professional aspects of my life or where I wanted to go. I knew I didn't want to get into academia like my friends. Mm -hmm. um, because to be honest, I love intellectualizing with academics, but they, they over-intellectualized. And I had this entrepreneurial spirit. Believe it, or, believe it or not, I almost went off on a different path. I, at university, I was working selling trainers for Nike, and I was also working as a topless butler, yeah. um, but I loved it, and <laughs> I ended up almost running the organization, facilitating events, you know, making sure that all the girls were having a great experience, and I was one of the only butlers who didn't drink, or didn't take drugs, or didn't take steroids, you know, I was all about service, and I've always been about service, I love servicing people, I love, um, take that out of context, I love helping <laughs> people have a good time, I guess is what I'm saying, adding value, I love that, um, and I had that entrepreneurial spirit there, but really I wanted to do something with well-being sciences, human optimization. I always felt like I wanted to be the me that I never had. Yeah. So I had all these painful experiences. I didn't have the, the, the people there to help me or the individual there to help me, the wise mentor, the Mr. Miyagi, mm. um, and all scenarios of life when I was having experienced autoimmune issues, mental health issues, you know, when I was starting my business, I wanted to be that for other people. Yeah. So that's when I went on that more purposeful path. I left university. I wanted to be a psychologist. I wanted to be a consultant, a well-being scientist consultant. I just didn't know how. So I, I just tried everything and anything. Um, first I went and, you know, I'd done a thing called the screw, the motivational dude, as you said, that was my alias name was picked for me, not by me. And um, I'd done the motivational dude screw the nut to it all across Scotland and all these different schools and I enjoyed it, but it wasn't a very sustainable business model because schools yeah. don't pay yeah. very and well. At some point, bills have to be paid. and, and Exactly. Yeah. And then I started working with athletes and I didn't like it because a lot of them had egos. Um, and then I got into the corporate field and I'd done loads of different work, particularly with Dell. Um, long story short, they loved the value that I was adding um, and I was working for nothing, really. I wasn't even asking for travel expenses, sundries, nothing. You know, I'd done a lot for free, added so much value, but I was passionate. And then what happened was um, I have this meeting and I was supposed to meet with two women from the Glasgow site. I end up meeting up with four women from, um, uh, you know, senior ranking individuals. Mm. I'm asked to give a big introduction. At the end of that meeting, they asked me to be their national ambassador for mental health and well-being. A week later... 
and meeting Michael Dell, uh, name drop, the 47th, the 37th richest man in the world. It was an experience. It felt like meeting Obama or, you know, something like that, yeah. and whereby, you know, I wasn't allowed to have my phone, social media blackout. And ultimately, that label of Dell's National Ambassador for Mental Health and Wellbeing, that was worth its weight in gold yeah. and it opened up many doors. And again, the whole corporate thing I've been doing now for about four years, and I've learned a lot. And I think, you know, some, that's, these are other people's words not mine people have told me that you've been able ross to achieve in four years what you know what it takes some people 10 20 30 years but some people don't even achieve and i wondered why and i reflected on that and i think it just all boils down to me being a people person me yeah. giving a shit me wanting to create results and me being all about mastering my craft and loving what i do deeply i would do it all day every day and my ultimate goal is just to write books and do self-funded research so I'll shut up now because I went off on nice. one, but that's how that, I mean, there's lot, loads more to the story and how I became a consultant, but that, that's the kind of whistle stop to The word that came to my mind there was relentless. Um, and, and I realised, you know, in this space, you can't play at it. If you're going to get anywhere, it doesn't yeah. just happen overnight for, for most people. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily about luck. Sometimes it could be, you know, some people, but ultimately you also got to be able to kind of walk the talk um and and perform and and help people and that's why when i was looking at your stuff you know i always find you know i look at lots of different people and not not everybody can resonate with you if that makes sense Um, yeah and nor should they because everyone's different everyone's different drives that's it we've all got that different and for me i always think it's um i like things to be when i say kept simple i mean to put in terms that i think that me in the city could have just sat and listened to not have to sit and kind of be like i don't understand what that word means i like it when it's let's say a people person that's a sign of wisdom as well being able to simplify everything you're saying and not overcomplicating things yeah because otherwise and this is one of the things i you know think is important otherwise you know you can come out with the highly technical stuff but if a lot of people it goes over their head then they won't implement it and then it's a fucking waste of time because you know there's old saying you know knowing and not doing is the same as not knowing so, you know, at the start of the session, I mentioned I was in the bath, and it, and the reason I do that is because it produces BDNF. Now, and I could really sound smart by saying, you know, it's a twenty quid word, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. But really, if you're looking for the simple terminology, it's miracle growth of the brain. And the reason is because, you know, in the 1970s, they had these brain cells preserved in a petri dish. They sprinkle um, some BDNF on it, right. and it causes the brain the brain cells to propagate and grow. Hence. Uh, i.e. neurogenesis so you know it's all about yes given the scientific stuff and the intelligence and stuff but breaking it down into simple components so that people can understand it because ultimately that's my goal is for people to play an active role in their health well-being yeah. and and their potential and, and simple is great well let's talk about sleep quickly because i know um yeah. you know with the with the whole man academy um you know we've got guys in in multiple countries i think it's it's about 45 46 different countries that guys listen wow. But, you know, I try and find, you know, a common, a common thing there is it's important for you to sleep well. Yeah. Um, and being either someone that, you know, some of the guys will be professional guys who might be still partying or working late and burning yeah. the candle, looking at screens a lot, mm-hmm. or some like us, you know, say young dad, I'm not young, but I'm, I'm, I'm you know, only a guy with kids in there three to five years. And then half past nine, I am. <laughs> and, and one of their sleep has been fucking terrible, you know, and I've, yeah. it's, I've said it on the podcast, but I mean, it's over. I mean, Bowie's, yeah, three, not even three, uh, will be in September, but he's only slept through the night three or four times in his entire life. Right. And that can, you know, that can, that yeah, can up on you. it affects you. 
It certainly it. does. I'm only 22, but I look a lot older. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so for you, like, where does it start when you're talking to people about sleep? Because there's so many different angles to go down for a guy. Okay, so um, my passion for sleep started when, in third year, I was introduced to sleep. Uh, it was how I was introduced to sleep science or sleep psychology. You can use those terms interchangeably. Um, yeah. I, I had this lecture, this American lady called Dr. Stephanie Biello. She's the dean of Glasgow University's um, bio neuroscience department. Right. Um, and most lecturers throw loads of theory at you. But right off the bat, um, she has a room about 50, 60 students, and she turns on us into human guinea pigs. So she puts us through, and by the way, that time of my sleep was not good. Okay. Uh, it was broken. I was waking up five, six times a night. It was all over the place. You know, you look at um, the power of regularity, regularity with your sleep-wake cycles um, and your circadian rhythm and the importance of that. Um, 24-hour cycle and mine was all over the place some nights I'd be up to one some nights I'd be going to bed at 10 some nights it'd be three it was all over the place as you could as you would imagine as a university student but it was really affecting me um and uh, I had you know I had some autoimmune issues at that time as well low-level stuff um and it was exacerbating those two so what happened was she put us through this test for about three weeks and we had to follow all these particular parameters, you know, um, some of the more common ones. So uh, wake up in the morning, expose ourselves to light, um, which is because, you know, in your eye, you've got your, your um, optic nerve. And when light comes through that optic nerve, it travels through and interacts with your sort of master regulator, which is another fancy sounding word, your suprachiasmatic nuclei, the SCN. Um, right. And that controls a lot of stuff in relation to your sleep. I think of it as like, you know, Homer Simpson and his little nuclear power plant pressing all these <laughs> buttons. Um, and, and that's why, because when you do that, light comes in through your eye, travels through your optic nerve, hits the suprachiasmatic nuclei, and your brain produces, uh, your brain influences your body pr to produce hormonally daytime, daytime hormones versus nighttime hormones. And it starts to regulate that. And, and so she was encouraged us to you know, expose herself to light, to exercise at regular times during the day. You know, um, there's various things you want to be doing. It's when you wake up, when you expose yourself to light, when you eat your first meal, when you exercise, when you eat your last meal, um, and uh, mm. when you go to bed at night and all these sorts of things. There's key questions and key indicators. Um, and she had us follow all these parameters. And within about two or three weeks, 90% of the cohort was sleeping like babies. You know, they'd wow. improved their energy, mood and mojo. And I just became fascinated by the science. And she started then telling us about the, you know, the glymphatic system. Have you, are you aware of the glymphatic system, Anthony? I've heard of it. I, I, this is what I love is when you talk to people and you can say, could you explain it in the most basic terms? So anybody listening will yep. be like, I, I get it. Yeah. So in the most basic term, so... Most of us have heard of the lymphatic system, or at least we kind of know what it is. You, know, you get on well, your lymph yeah. nodes swole under your armpit, your groin, your uh, throat underneath your chin. Yeah. So the glymphatic system is like the cousin of the lymphatic system. And the lymphatic system is a network of um, nodules and uh, tissue that um, are present throughout the body, which basically works to detoxify the body. Mm -hmm. um, there's 10 times more lymph fluid in the body than there is blood in a prerequisite. And to make that system function optimally, a prerequisite of that is to, you need to move, you know, stagnation. That's why they say sitting is the new smoking. So you go to the gym, you sit for an hour. That's, you know, it's good. But if you sit for the rest of the day, then you're going to be deactivating your lymphatic system. You can you encourage lymphedema, 
uh, you can cause cancer cells to propagate, so on and so forth. So anyway, that's the lymphatic system. But the cousin of that is the glymphatic system. And I like to think of it as like the Kim and Aggie. Can you remember Kim and Aggie? The Kim and Aggie. So those those two women that cleaned up the houses. Or or better yet, for your non-UK listeners, it's like the bin man, like a rubbish man of the yep. brain. So, you know, the lymphatic system stops at your neck. But what about your most expensive real estate? You know, you know this this thing encased in your a bony cortex your brain you know because that controls everything and without it you're you're mush you're nothing you cease to exist and so the, the glymphatic system what's interesting about it is when you go to sleep at night it activates so it starts to hoover effectively at night so the cleaning occurs at night and interestingly your brain cells within your brain shrink up to 60%. Now, that's akin to, you know, when you're in the sitting room or the living room, and let's say uh, you're you know, a family member or your wife or you yourself are actually hoovering and someone lift, lifts up their leg so that you can get into all the little nooks and crannies, you can yeah. get into all the tight spaces to what? To cleanse all that residue. Mm. And, 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 and they say that wakefulness is low-level brain damage and sleep is the recuperative solution. I'll say that again. Wakefulness is low-level brain damage and sleep is the recuperative solution. So when we're awake and, you know, like right now you and I are talking, it's, um, it's expensive, energetically expensive mm. for our brains to do so. We interact with people, we engage in reflection and tasks and such. We use our executive functions, memory, recall, all these sorts of things. Mm that creates neurotoxic residue and that builds up and amasses throughout the day. But sleep is the recuperative solution. And what happens is when we sleep, the brain cells shrink. There's this um, liquid and interstitial fluid um, that is washed throughout the brain, which captures all of this neurotoxic residue um, and, and releases it and cleanses it through your spinal cord system. Um, and so you get this kind of cleansing effect. And, and that's why they say like cognitive decline in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's can start as early as your 20s, because what's happened is we're not uh, cleansing or detoxifying this neurotoxic residue that's building up. What, what then happens is, so each of your neurons fire in a linear manner, in a straight manner, um, and this neurotoxic residue causes a buildup of tax and beta amyloid um, plaques should I say beta amyloid plaques and tangles effectively that's like the equivalent of your cell firing linearly um, versus it being tangled up like a stray pubic hair how a stray pubic hair looks in a bathtub you know it's all kind of curled up yeah. it goes from a straight firing linear signal to curled up misfiring dies and it degrades and dies um, but sleep is there a good recuperative solution for that so that's just one reason why you know yeah. you want to be if you're dealing with brain fog memory issues cognitive impairment or you want to just optimize and it's also been associated and correlated with you know mental health issues exacerbation maybe not causally but exacerbation of mental health issues mm. so you know sleep is fascinating and um you know there's all sorts of other studies out there um there's um studies that fascinate me by michael prather and um, he's a californian researcher i have some contact with him and he was able to showcase that even um so there's an inverse relationship that occurs with sleep in your immunity right. um and so what happens is so uh when you when your sleep improves when it goes up so say like seven to nine hours when your sleep increases 
um, so does the so does the robustness of your immune system. However, when those the number the the duration of sleep, the hours of sleep, quantity of sleep decreases, uh, your immune system depreciates. And what I mean by that depreciation is, so they've looked at the sweet spot for sleep is seven to nine hours, depending on what you've been doing throughout the day, physical exercise, mentally demanding job, how much you've eaten, those sorts of things. The sweet spot is seven to nine hours. When you drop below seven hours, that's where we see objective impairments occur, um, physiologically and psychologically. Um, and when it pertains to the immune system, um, your natural killer cells start to decrease. And your natural natural killer cells, or NK cells as they're known, they're like your, you know, think of the movie Saving Private Ryan. You know, they're like your guys on the, on the front, like, you know, uh, fending off threats from infections and diseases and cancerous cells every single day, right now as we speak, which is mad to even consider under the threshold of conscious awareness this is what's going on and 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 it makes sense because we know subjectively that we when we're younger or or maybe not even when we're younger but right now if we were to go on hold and we were to hammer it and we were to drink a lot of alcohol for three four five days yeah. um, and pair our sleep stay up you know our sleep wake cycles are all over the place we're eating from inflammatory foods what happens well your holiday is not refreshing and restorative you come back and you, you could get sick yeah. You get unwell. That, that's often what happens, or you get sick actually on holiday when the adrenaline subsides. You know, so again, another reason why sleep is important. And um, I just find it fascinating that uh, right now um, you mentioned something about your. Um, no, I'm wrong. I picked you up wrong. But what I was going to say was earlier on, before we started this podcast, we we're talking about our father in laws. So my mm-hmm. father in law, Fraser, who I love. I'm trying not to get emotional. He's one of my best friends. He, for his 50th birthday, was di- got diagnosed with a rare form of lymphoma five months ago. Now, he is the type of guy who is, you know, there's areas in the we- areas in the west of Scotland where I'm from, whereby, you know, the life expectancy is, you know, 60 if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because the way we live our lives and the cultural um, conditioning that goes on. But Fraser is your typical, you know, overweight, metabolically unfit, uh, sugar-loving, beer-drinking male. Um, Yeah, he's basically the perfect... He creates within him the perfect conditions for for disease. So it's it's no surprise that disease manifested itself. In fact, I'm surprised it didn't happen earlier. Um, so anyway, the reason I'm mentioning this is because he's got this rare form of lymphoma and, you know, the NHS are notoriously slow at the best of times. So for those who are listening again from outside outside of the UK, the NHS is our, is our health system. Um, they're notoriously slow. And uh, because as a result of the pandemic, it's made them even slower, particularly, you know, with getting back to people um, yeah. dealing with, you know, being, being in compromised states such as cancer, which is life-threatening situation. Yeah. they're slow slower than ever before so knowing that and knowing what i know about well-being sciences and human optimization i said fraser i need to sit you down and, and say this lovingly and i want to inform you with all this information anyway long story short i informed them we created this free phase program which factored you know factored in sleep science optimizing his sleep optimizing his immunity and um, looking at his movement getting him in saunas we've done loads of different stuff cyclical fasting ketogenic yeah. diet monk fasting blood work blood work analysis all sorts <laughs> of stuff because that's something that i do as well as blood work yeah. interpretation anyway long story short five months later he's lost 26 pounds wow. he's fasting regularly his energy has returned um he's he's, he's an old vibrant self again um he's lost he's down to i think he's lost like four or five inches off his waist he, but uh, more importantly 
he went to the doctors, he'd done follow-up scans, he doesn't even need chemotherapy anymore, and he might not even re need radiotherapy. The yeah. cancer, which was clearly visible, is now almost invisible. I think it's it's so interesting. I mean, the, the more I learn about, I mean, my, my partner's a naturopathic nutritionist, and she's been studying, you know, this stuff for over 10 years and going on at me yep. about it. But, you know, in my view, the more I know, the more I realize that, you know, so much of the disease around is actually caused by the inflammation and lifestyle and stress. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but unfortunately, you can't make money out of that. So they'd rather, the pharmaceutical yeah. companies would rather <laughs> just give it to lots of different labels and pump, pump people full of drugs. But I love that when someone's like, Do you know what, I've fucking done something about it with your help. Yeah. And guess what? I'm not saying everything, you know, has disappeared, but you've seen yeah. a marked change. And you said something. Oh, market change. He's his he's old self again, but he's a different man. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, that he he actually, in that time, and we know that cancer, if you look at um, Otto Warburg, Otto Warburg's research, uh, he won the equivalent of the Nobel Prize, or maybe he did win a Nobel, Nobel Prize, something to that effect, back in, you know... I think it was the 50s or something like that. Either way, that research showcased that, you know, sugar fueled cancer. Mm. Um, and, and I just want to say this, though. However, fortunately, fasting and ketogenic diets and reduced, you know, caloric intake and such things, um, the type of cancer that Fraser has, lymphoma, is very responsive to fasting. Mm. Um, other cancers aren't as responsive. They are responsive, but not as responsive. And so I just want to make that caveat, just in case anyone's listening and thinking, I sh I'm not going to contact my doctor, maybe yeah. in a compromised situation. I work in combination. I, I have affiliations with a private clinic. I'm educated in this space. And we also work in tandem with the GP. So I'm not against, I'm not like one of these people who's like, I hate the system. Look, the system is what it is. It is a bad system. And there is a lot of, you know, they should be called conspiracy theories because the system is against us in many ways. However, that is a system, and yeah. I'm not one for fighting against that because I think, in a sense, it's wasted energy. I'm all about, like, one-pointed focus. How can I help the individual? What do we know? Let's look under the threshold of conscious awareness. You know, mm -hmm. I, I just thought it was important to make that caveat that, that you know, lymphoma is particularly responsive to yeah. certain I, treatments. I think it's so important, though, to show that, you know, you don't have to just rely on a pharmaceutical intervention for everything. Yeah. It can be, like you say... But, but do you know what? It takes hard work and it takes dedication. It takes doing the right things. I think for me, one of the big frustrations is if people are making the effort to make a change, but doing the wrong thing, you know, they're, 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 running, they're running up the wrong path, even though they're yep. making the effort. Exactly. But the other thing, I mean, on, the, on the flip of that as well, I know you'd written about like mental training and you'd said yep. most people don't even know what mental training is. And I think yeah. that a lot of illness could be, um, what's the word, you know, avoided if people had better mental training to be like, well, I won't eat all this shit. I won't yeah. smoke. I will exercise more. You know, I won't get so stressed. I agree and, wholeheartedly. Mental, right. uh, you know, if you look at the root of all we experience, it's our thoughts. Yeah. And people think, you know, people think about things like, you know, the secret. And the secret took a lot of shit because, you know, ask, believe, and you shall receive. Um, but they didn't give any substance. They didn't explain the science of that. And there is science to explain it. And that's why I say, you know, thoughts are the root of all we experience. Thoughts become things. What, I mean, what do I mean by that is, you know, one thought can create an emotion. It can create a cascading 
of emotions, which can then influence your behaviors and how you act and what you do. And those actions, well, they influence your results and those results that become themes of your life. And so if you want to change the themes of your life and what's going on in your results, then you have to start with the root of all we experience, you know, to change the visible world, you have to change the invisible world. Mm-hmm. And that's why, and mental training was a game changer for me. I'm not someone who is trying to appear perfect here. You know, yeah. part of my, one of the biggest keys to me being able to go on this journey and continue to evolve and progress was mental training everything is psychological and um, there's a lot of spiritual as well um, and by spiritual i mean things that are a lot of people don't resonate with that word this is why i'm giving a de- definition yeah um because i didn't at the time when i first encountered that word spiritual just means anything that's non-tangible so yeah. hope faith gratitude optimism those sorts of things yeah. um, but coming back to mental training yeah you know if i'm on stage and i say you know i ask the room um who in here does mental training, it does some form of physical training, even speed right. walking or something like that, yoga, running, CrossFit, everybody's hands up, you know, and because no one uses Ubers 24 seven or can levitate. So uh, everyone does some form of physical training. But then if I ask the follow-up question of mental training, maybe, maybe 5% of people put their hand up. And that's everywhere and anywhere I ask that question. The big problem is, is that no one even knows what it is to mentally train. So how, therefore, can they engage with it? Yeah. You know, and mental training is just like physical training in the sense that, you know, there's certain exercises when it pertains to physical training that you can engage with to create corresponding physical benefits. I'm, I'm simplifying here, but yeah. if you want to get strong, you lift heavy stuff. If you want to become more flexible, you work in your mobility and you do your stretches. And if you want to build your endurance, you run at pace over long distances. Again, I'm simplifying, but there's certain exercises that we know that we can engage with to create those corresponding physical benefits. Yeah. However, it's the same with, there's a lot of parallels with mental training, but it's just that people don't know the specific exercises to create the corresponding mental benefits. You know, these empowering states like hope, faith, resilience, more love, more calmness, more contentment to make their highs higher and more sustained and their lows lows, less low and less often, you know, to be able to shift their state. And you can do that by learning, you know, about mental training. For me, mental training, just for everyone listening, is like a, imagine umbrella, that's the umbrella term. And then below that are all the different practices. Um, So evolutionary psychology is a topic, state shifting, um, uh, you know, memory there's there's others you know, there's tons of stoicism philosophy of the mind and then there's practices attached there's exercises attached to those practices underneath that um framework of mental training if that makes sense yeah. um and, and you know to, to understand it is to really be able to change your life you mm. know and and by the way when it comes to when i said earlier on your thoughts influencing your feelings and your feelings influence your actions and your actions influence your results my neuroscience lecturer at university gave me a different definition of feelings of that word feelings you know we think of that word feelings in quite yeah. a shallow way so thoughts feelings kind of use those words interchangeably but we don't really think about it beyond you know mm. how we use it in everyday life quite shallowly yeah. But um, Professor Kerry Kilborn told me, and this was, again, a game-changing shift, that emotions and feelings are measurable neurological factors. They can be, tra- they can be tracked, traced, yeah. hacked for you, by you, in service of improving your life. So they are measurable neurological factors. They can be tracked, traced, hacked, and um, influenced for you, by you. And, you know, if you put those two things together, your thoughts, thoughts influence your feelings, mm. your emotions. Your emotions influence how you act. Your actions dictate your results and the themes of your life. 
And those emotions are measurable neurological factors. Think about the secret. You know, yeah. ask, believe, and you shall receive. Where's the substance? There's the substance. You know, you, you, you know, you think a thought, you're laying a new neural trace in your brain. You take action in that, like just like tarmac on a road, asphalt, you know, it becomes strengthened and strengthened. You add more and more layers to it. And that's how that's, you know, think of the Greek word plastos. It means, you know, to mold a new you. And that's where the word neurogenesis comes from. You know, you're, you're generating a new you, you're molding, sorry, neuroplasticity, should I say, plastos, yeah. molding a new you. Um, so yeah, the, the power of mental training is significant and there's so many different forms. I love these conversations because um, I'm trying to think who it was. I mean, I spoke to you ages ago. Who was it I spoke to? And it was about trying to explain to people um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, where someone's experience of the world is coming from. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think it was... It's going to come to a minute who it was, but said, similar to you of like, let's say you were in a, in a crowd and you said like, where is your experience in the world coming from? And, and some people would be like, well, from them and what they're doing to me and what have you. And you're like, yeah. let's, let's, let's bring it in a little bit more and think more about, you know, as you said, because I feel like some people are like prisoners in their own mind yeah. because of, you know. I used to be, I used to be like, like that. And now there's nothing more that, there's nothing I love to do more than be in my mind. Yeah. That's well, a weird change of I circumstances. Like it. This is why the podcast I love because it's, I always say it's thought provoking content. And, you know, the big thing is I, I learn from the men I speak to. Um, and sometimes it can be that someone might listen to a, an hour or whatever, and they might only take one golden nugget away, but yeah. that can be the thing that they really, that really helps them. And one of the things I was going to ask you about was because the big thing about that is, I mean, most adults don't get, you know, don't, wouldn't understand what mental training is. So there's no fucking chance for the kids because none of us were taught as, as youngsters any of this mm -hmm. at all in the first place. And I know you mm -hmm. touched on, I think you said it was less than, was it 5% of the curriculum? Global, global Western curriculum is dedicated right. to health, well-being and self-improvement. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're too busy at the moment poking woke agendas down their throats to actually yeah. uh, you know, deal with anything else. And you know just, what's interesting, Anthony? So I, I don't want to bring this up too much, but... Uh, you know, because people might feel hard done to, but there there is a system, and it is it is against us. And by us, what I mean is is sort of your average man, woman, working class, middle class. And, and what I mean by this, with respect to that global Western curriculum, five percent, you know, the system is broken. Yeah. Um, an interesting exercise to engage in is to look at your common curriculum of your average public school today. The stuff that we experienced, religious education, home economics, pay, you're going to take your 50 pence into school and make an apple, um, an apple tart, sorry, uh, you know, and uh, your PE, which I think has great value, but there's not enough of that. It should be mandated every morning in school, in my opinion. Um, and there's a load of other classes that just aren't relevant. Um, but there are other classes that are missing from that curriculum and I'm not embedded in that. Mm. And it's been that way for the longest time, you know, for, for us, for your parents, for their parents. But if you put our curriculum side by side to a private school's curriculum, I've worked with public schools and private schools, they get access to well-being sciences. They get access to entrepreneurial skills, which involves confidence, debating skills, how to start a business, how to grow a business, you yeah. know, economics, economics, physics, you know, how to handle money. And they get speakers like me in because they have higher budgets. So how is that fair? <laughs> and, you know, and... Uh, you know, it's just an exercise that I feel is interesting. And, you yeah. know, the, the global Western curriculum, when I say that, I mean the global, global working class, 
middle-class mm. Western curriculum. It's very different for, you know, the bourgeoisie proletariat, the uppers and the lowers, yeah. um, if you want to call it that. Um, and that's how, they end, that's how they end up running the country. Yeah, no, I think it's, it's so interesting because you know, we can't expect uh, the majority of our workforce to be able to take care of themselves if they haven't been given the tools. And that's why I hope that, like, yeah. you know, going into schools and or even youngsters being able to have access to podcasts and things like that these yeah. days, they can, if they want to, they can absorb and yeah. their own time and make their own mistakes and what have you. And that's powerful, in my opinion, because I talk about, you know, that Miyagi effect that I experienced. Your, your mentors don't always have to be at close proximity. Yeah. You know, Tony Robbins, you mentioned Tony Robbins. He is fast. You know, that man is a special man. And he taught me, you know, it's not about your resourcefulness. You mentioned the word relentless earlier on. It's not about your resourcefulness. It's about your resources. I have no silver spoons. You know, mm. I, was hit with, I was hit with all the spoons. Yeah. You know, my mother is psychologically unstable, has been suicidal, has depression. You know, multiple of my family members are either, you know, dead before 50, 60, they're sick, they're, you're, you're, they're on the dole, um, you know, taking advantage of the system, scrimping and scraping for low-hanging fruit. You know, mm. I, I wasn't exposed to these sorts of messages, um, but it's about your resourcefulness. It's yeah. not about your resources. I never had money. I wasn't, I wasn't given, you know, I didn't have any inheritance. I wasn't taught any of these messages. And, you know, I think that, you know, I utilize people like Brendan Bouchard in the early stages and Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and people like these and other experts through books. You know, you yeah. can have a conversation with someone who's 2000 years old, Aristotle, mm. you know, a fascinating guy who lived in an era where there wasn't as many distractions, which means they're more likely to pursue a passion and a craft. Yeah. And you're going to pick up a lot from those individuals. So, you know, you can buy a book for six, 10 pounds, 15 pounds, mm. and you can immerse yourself in that. So there are really no excuses. Um, you're right. I think that's- You, you are your own obstacle as, as the saying goes. That is, it's an important one to remember because, you know, I see now, now I was, I was in this bracket. I used to watch football all the time. Now, don't know, yeah. I love football, playing it, watching it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But when you think back, you know, my weekends, especially when I lived on my own, was, you know, probably on a Thursday, Friday, I'd be out in a city or on a date. So Saturday, I'd go up, go to the gym or go to football. And then you'd come home, you'd watch football highlights, you'd watch match the day. Uh, and then Sunday, you'd probably get up and watch, you know, football highlights that you might have already watched. But watch yeah. them again, just in case. And then you watch two games. Uh, and then, you know, then you probably pop, play FIFA. I was like, fuck me, I wasted so much of my time. Yeah, I did that too. Yeah, I could have been doing much more important stuff. So that's why now, you know, I just, we all go through phases, I think, of our life. And, and, and as men, you know, 20s for me was partying. 30s, I started to grow up and look around in yeah. my, you know, mid to late 30s. I, I really feel like I grew up a lot very quickly. Mm -hmm. And now I just, I, I don't ever watch the news. Uh, I never, ever buy newspapers. And we don't watch terrestrial TV at all. Yeah. Um, why would we need a TV license? And, uh, and I just, and I don't you know you have to consume all the time, but yeah. I, I do stuff that enlightens and enriches me instead of watching the news and the bullshit yep. and the fear and the propaganda. And that's one of the things I was going to ask for you, because often guys will say to me, well, let's talk about motivation as it were, well, how, you know, mm -hmm. how do I stay motivated? And I was like, well, um, you know, <laughs> let's ask Ross his thoughts because motivation, I guess, is, is another fleeting yep. feeling, isn't it? Yeah. And so, so I could talk all day about this, uh, about motivation and the yeah. psychology of what drives us. Um, but I feel that for me, sample of one, and I think it's relevant to most people, to be honest, 
Now, people talk about you want to be able to get the position where you're tap dancing your way to work or whatever you classify as work. Now, yeah. to be able to do that, I think it all comes down to self-awareness. And what is self-awareness? You know, for me, the deeper you go, the more you know, the more you know about yourself, the self, the quicker and further you will grow. Mm-hmm. And self-awareness is, I mean, intimate knowledge. I mean, a love affair with wanting to know and knowing about you, you know, what are you, and not just like a SWOT analysis, like basic entrepreneurial shit, like, you know, <laughs> strengths, weaknesses, opportunity, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I am talking about your strengths and your weaknesses. I'm talking about, you know, um, but, but what I mean by strengths and weaknesses is this. So in positive psychology, positive psychology is an interesting topic. Psychology for the last you know, a few hundred years has been a disease model. How do we get people from a negative place back to baseline? Positive psychology comes along, says, hold my beer. And we've got some other, we've got another focus here. What about plus three, plus nine, plus 99? What about helping individuals realize their potential, live happier, healthier, more successful and fulfilling lives? Yeah. And they, they talk about, so happiness, let's look at happiness. I know we're talking about motivation, but there's, you mm-hmm. know, there's some overlap. Yeah. So you get happiness and the common culture, a lot of people associate happiness with the raw sense pleasures, you know, masturbation, let's just call it how it is, right? Masturbation, drugs, um, pharmaceutical, illegal, um, you know, coffee, ice cream, yeah. playing FIFA, as you mentioned, you know, um, buying that wee pug dog, uh, focusing on what worktops you want. And I'm not saying those things are bad, honestly, because I do some of those things, um, maybe too much some of those things but what i mean by that is according to positive psychology that should be the cherry on the cake you know some yeah. of those things shouldn't make up all they shouldn't be how we fulfill all our happiness quotient they should be yeah. five or ten percent but the other two factors that make up a happy and meaningful life people don't know about and number one is your strengths knowing what they are and engaging with them daily and by the way when i'm talking about strengths what i mean by this is this is when it comes back to the self-awareness piece it is your strengths are a combination of what you were born with and what you've experienced throughout your life. These things coalesce and coming together to create, you know, call it your core genius, unique strengths. You can't have mine, Anthony, and I certainly can't have yours. And every one of us has multiple strengths based on what we're exposed to um, and what we've experienced through life. Now, we may not know that. Most of us don't. And sadly, some of us never get to know that because we don't know how, we don't understand the concept of self-awareness and we don't know how to penetrate deep and we don't understand the quality of journaling and pondering self-reflection and quality questions. So if a happy life, you know, to lead a happy life, there's three components. One is that hedonic Hollywood lifestyle, raw sense pleasures, and that's fine. Ice cream, a nice bowl of vanilla ice cream, chocolate, whatever, but that should only be 5%. Mm-hmm. Then you've got strengths, which is knowing your high strengths and engaging with these daily and then you've got living to live the meaningful life. It's knowing your high strengths, engaging with these daily, but in service of something greater than you. So there's tests that you can do. And I, let me touch on those. So for example, a couple of my high strengths, social intelligence. Now, you know, and by the way, strengths are not what you put in the bottom third of a CV. So social intelligence, you know, the ability to build relationships effort effortlessly to feel confident and competent mm. in any type of social situation why is that the case for me and by the way that could be the case for someone else but it's also important how you justify that is your core strength now again coming back to these things 
it's what you're born with and what you've been exposed to over the years. So I was born with a gregarious nature. I was a cute baby, call it how it is. I got a lot of attention and that attention was generally positive. So I wasn't then afraid of people. Um, and, and also I was raised in a family where there was an open door policy. So my grandmother was like, you know, bring everyone in. My mother was the same, bring in everyone in. You know, you don't, if you, if you can't stay at this young man's house, then they can come and have a sleepover with you and play FIFA, that type of thing, right? So that was just the way of my family. They're like a Scottish, Irish, Italian family. And that was useful for me because I was then always around about different people. And growing up, I got myself into loads of different tricky situations. So I've been, I've worn different hats. I've been... Yeah. I've, I've been a stripper and a topless butler, I've been a drug dealer, I've been a drug addict, I've met the 37th richest man in the world, Michael Dell, I'm now a consultant, I was a, I was a semi-professional athlete at one point, I've attempted to break world records, not only have I taken, you know, not only have I seen people take heroin and, you know, sat next to people taking heroin, but I've taken it, so, and I've been all these different situations, I've had my lights punched in, I've been at parties, I've, been, I've spoken on the stage in front of tens of thousands. So I've been in so many different situations and involved with so many different sects of society. That gives me a strength. Yeah. But by the way, that strength took me a long time to figure out because often your highest strength is the one that you can't see. But yeah. there's clues everywhere. For years, for years, my grandmother would say to me, um, Ross, when she was talking about me to other people, Ross could speak to Tam the devil. So Tam is a, a nickname for someone called Thomas in Scotland, Tam and the devil, Tam the devil. It's just a way of saying he can speak to anyone, uh, anyone from anywhere. Yeah. And I didn't realize that, you know, I'm in a queue and I, you know, I'm talking to this old lady and, you know, we're best friends after three minutes. You know, I can make, I can engage and I'm in a flow state and I love that. Um, right. So by the way, I just got there. I got, I, my little girl, I think, has been put down. So my my, my wife was at the, the window there, <laughs> just saying five minutes kind of thing. Yeah, enough, so yeah. let, me ra- let me wrap up this point, Anthony. So for anyone who's wanting to go deeper into self-awareness, which I would encourage them to do so, mm-hmm. to be able to gain an insight into their strengths and then live a more engaged life. Um, because ultimately, when you understand yourself and you know what you want and what you love to do, that's where you become motivated every single day to go up and do it no matter what, in spite of the challenges and setbacks. Because you're, you're, not, you're not always going to feel motivated. That's a misnomer, that's a complete misconception. But you're going to feel more, more motivated than the average person. Because, you know, I love doing what, I'm do, what I do. Uh, you know, I would do it. If I had £10 million to back, this is what I'd be doing. Yeah. Right? I don't, sadly. But this is what I'd be doing. Um, but, you know, you can only do so much of something all the time. Mm. But I am very motivated and highly motivated. So quite quite quickly, um, jump on to AuthenticHappiness.org. This is, I've done so many psychometric tests, but this is the most profound and most significant one I've ever done in my life. AuthenticHappiness.org. It's Martin Seligman, the founding father of Positive Psychology's website. You go on there and take the signature strength test or the authentic strength test or the core strength test. There's a drop down for surveys. It'll be there. It's about 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And what I would encourage listeners to do and you also Anthony if you've never done this is to take the test it will give you probably five to seven your core strengths then go and find one or two people who you trust and ask them what you know there's 24 character strengths show them the list and say what three of these or five of these do you feel best embodies me and you have to do it with people you trust because some people especially when you're younger will laugh at you and judge you and you don't want that in this 
space. So let's say it's your wife and your best friend and, and you might be able to help them do that exercise. So you think about what your strengths are before you do the test, you do the test, you get this objective data set, you ask two or three other people and then you start to you know, look for patterns and maybe let's say it's curiosity or appreciation of beauty and excellence or gratitude or like resourceful intelligence, boldness. And then what you start to do is you go out there into the field of life and you start to experiment and you start to say, oh, when I did that, like, think about when time stops you're in a flow state, for example, was I utilizing one of my signature strengths tests? When you, when you embodied excellence, think about, oh, was I actually engaging with one of my strengths there? And it takes some time, but it's a worthwhile endeavor because then you've got all these data sets and you're engaging with them in life. And um, for example, you know, how can I exercise my love of social intelligence? And um, well, it helps me with networking. You know, how am I able to, you know, get in a situation where I'm talking to the, Uf the UFC? That part of that is, you know, relentlessness, but part of it is social intelligence, understanding how to talk to people because I've been doing that. I don't know now that it's a strength. And so I can engage with that strength and utilize it in my favor, not just, you know, to progress my career, but for happiness and fulfillment. So hopefully I've synthesized that enough yeah. there. I'll tell you why, as you were saying, I was thinking also, it's one of those things, you know, I write the uh, Whole Man Academy e-letter, which goes out, I think I've written about yep. 170 of them now, but they go out every Tuesday and Friday to men all around here and there. And, uh, and it's always great to, to, to find, you know, so, some different kind of tests or things that guys uh -huh. really like just kind of, looking at so I, I can sense in a week or two's time when uh, when it comes to release I'll, I'll put all that in the e-letter for the guys so they can they can work their way through it um but uh, well, uh, well i know it's uh, we've already taken up some some of your valuable time especially if you've got uh, little ones to uh, kiss good i could sit here honestly if you want to do it again i could sit with you in chat for two hours it's just it's a uh, friday yeah. evening my little girl's 14 months old <laughs> she has to be put down she needs to have her daddy read a storybook to her to calm her so uh duties must duties call no, I, I totally understand i know i'm going to go in and be uh throwing like some thomas the tank books or something like that for my boys when i get in but um and it's look, authentic I, to the channel whole man academy it. not all of us are single on 24 yeah, if I folks just did one day a week when I was single, that'd be nice. But that's another story. <laughs> but look, I totally appreciate all your time and your uh, knowledge as well. And I definitely think we need to do this again because we've probably got uh, a few more little rabbit holes we can go down. Yeah, I'm sure. And I would love that. It's been a pleasure. And if anyone wants to reach out, I actually don't do the social media thing that much. You know, when I go to write my first book and, you know, I publish that and, and, and I do plan on doing a lot more social media. Um, I do have a website where a new website um, that's just about to launch. So if anyone you know, yeah. feels the need to reach out, ask me a question, um, you know, you'll be able to find that on my new Instagram page. Currently, I've got an Instagram page. It's the Motivational Dude. Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn as you did, Anthony. Yeah. Um, and and ping me a message and and let me know, you know, yeah. if you enjoy the show or if you want to reach out or whatever. If you thought we were funny, which of course yeah. we are. Yeah. But, um, and, and hopefully next time we can go down some more lighthearted paths as well. Yes. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll do it in person as well, which would be nice. Yeah, that would be cool, especially if you're from London, Anthony, because I miss going down to London and it looks yeah. as though I'm going to be down London in the future working yeah. with some clients um, maybe in the next few months. So we'll keep we'll yeah. keep in touch and, and maybe we can Sounds do this like in person. A, Sounds like who, a coffee. Who knows? Maybe one of those amazing events that you were telling me about, which sounded yeah. just awesome, might very well happen again in London. And, you know, we might be standing on stage side by side speaking, which would be really uh, cool. I look forward to it. It's one of those things you never know with these things, how uh, like the universe will provide an opportunity for us. But uh, right, well, well, I will let you go, my friend, and uh, yeah. you enjoy your evening, and I will speak to you soon. Likewise, likewise. Have a Thanks, nice weekend, mate. mate. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Take care, right. guys.
Thanks for listening. Remember to sign up to our game-changing weekly e-letter that's read by men around the world. Sign up at wholemanacademy.com forward slash movement. Until next time.